deals in money, we are constantly seeking deals in money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals, or you can follow up with your investors. And you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I think that to really succeed in the business world, you need to find ways to add value. So however you need to do it, however you think you can help somebody else out, if all you're bringing to the figurative table is a notepad and a pen, you're just not contributing anything. So find a way to add more value to people. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing onto the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow. He currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Chad Griffiths. Chad is joining us from Alberta, Canada. His business is NAI Commercial Real Estate. He's an industrial real estate broker and investor. Currently the GP of five industrial properties ranging from 400,000 to four and a half million in value. He owns several industrial REITs in the U.S. He's LP of a multi-tenant office and retail property as well. Chad, can you start us off a little more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, thanks, Logan. I mean, I'm really excited to be on the show and uh, talk about all things industrial estate. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Yeah, I, I love chatting about this stuff, so it's an honor to be here. I got started in 2005. I joined a company as a broker. And I didn't know much about industrial real estate at the time. It was really this opaque industry that a lot of people just don't have very much familiarity with. Like everybody's familiar with office and retail and multifamily. But when I started, I knew very little about industrial real estate. The office that I joined was heavily involved in industrial. So the people that I was learning from and mentoring under 
And that's just the path that I ended up taking. So it was purely accidental that I really got into industrial. But fast forward today, 17 years later, I have a partner at the firm. And then in 2014, I also started investing in properties myself. So trying to add a property every year, a little bit challenging over the past couple of years with all the uncertainty and the pandemic and everything. But uh, we've been pretty consistent, closed on another property earlier this year for about four and a half million dollars. And we're just completing a major renovation on another property that we have, which the covering's just about to come off the exterior. So it's been an interesting ride. I love talking about this. And it's just really a passion of mine beyond working in it full time and having the majority of my net worth tied into industrial real estate. I just love talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in a very similar place apartments wise. I became a residential real estate agent here several years ago. All of my investing, like real estate's my career, it's my hobby. It's what I love talking about. It's what all my friends do, totally. So as a broker, do you specialize within industrial real estate on what you sell? I don't personally, although by nature of the market that I work in, Alberta is very close to Texas. We've got a heavy oil and gas exposure. So we've got a disproportionate amount of manufacturing properties in our market, whereas the big buzzword of the day in industrials, warehousing or distribution centers, our market has a lot of manufacturing. So by nature of just being in that market, I've probably done more manufacturing type of properties than I have warehousing, but we're also a market of about a million people. And in that range, there isn't a lot of people that specialize in one specific area. But if you go to a market like LA, as an example, there will be somebody that specializes just in warehouses right on the port. It'll become that more specialized, the bigger the market you get to. I'm in a market where I've done sales and leasing on the full spectrum, warehousing, manufacturing, flex properties. Gotcha. How much of your industrial investing is there in your local market and how much of it's non-local? Actually, all of it is local. I can drive to every building that I own about 20 minutes from my office. And part of that was design. It's a market that I've worked in extensively for a number of years. So I just know it really well and I'm comfortable with it. And I just feel that I've got a lot more information about my local market than I do another market. And that's one of the reasons that I've tried diversifying a little bit is by owning some REITs which is kind of funny. I own a lot of hard assets for industrial real estate. And even in the stocks that I own are in industrial real estate. So maybe that's not the best diversification standpoint from a financial high level look, but I just love industrial real estate. So I try to balance out my physical assets with industrial REITs, which own property all over the world. Awesome. Now you were introduced as a general partner in five industrial properties. What does your partnership structure look like? And are you raising capital from limited partners for your acquisitions? We've actually not done general partnerships, actually. We've done more of actually just like an LLC. I've got one main partner. Him and I have done everything together. And then we've strategically brought on other people with some of them. A couple of the properties, it's just him and I and and one or two small partners. And then some of the larger stuff, we might have eight or nine partners. But we've actually done it where we've set up a separate company for each one of these. It is in the horizon where I do want to do more syndication. I'm an LP in one project myself, but I would like to sponsor more deals going forward. But I also wanted to establish a track record of showing that we've got the capacity and capabilities of doing this on our own. So as of right now, we haven't raised any money for our 
small fund, but we might look to roll over some of these properties into a fund down the road or just set up a new syndication altogether. But our experience has been, we wanted to invest in it directly. We wanted to have control. We wanted everybody that participated to know that we're also involved with our own money. So that was important to us right from the beginning. Awesome. And you said that you are involved in or own a handful of REITs in the United States. Those are controlling industrial real estate as well. Yeah. And how it works with most REITs in US, particularly the biggest ones, and the biggest one by far is Prologis, that stock ticker is PLG. They're actually the biggest property owner in the world. So not even just industrial real estate, they're the biggest property owner in the world. They've got a billion square feet worth of industrial real estate in key markets all over, predominantly in the US, but all over in major port cities. And I like that from the standpoint that their portfolio is geared to take advantage of that e-commerce boom. And I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. I think that that's still going to be a a trend for the foreseeable future. And they've got some of the best real estate in the world, in the most strategic markets. So instead of me trying to compete with a institutional grade company like that in physically owning the real estate, I can invest in them, make a small dividend and hopefully participate in some appreciation in the stock. And it's gone up even from when I've bought it. It's, it's, it's actually done quite well, but I also own Stag and Duke Realties are two other ones that I've, I've got shares in as well. And I, I like having that consistent dividend, I believe in that market segment. And then I like the intelligence that they have as well. And, and I feel that being invested in those companies makes me follow their reports more closely. I read their quarterly reports. Occasionally we'll even jump onto their quarterly earnings calls and just see what type of documents and research that they're putting out, which I think informs me as an investor myself, just based on all the sheer amount of research that these guys are putting out and producing. That's awesome. I really want to dive into that. But before we get too far down the rabbit hole, Chad, if I can ask, why is it that you are investing in REITs? Is it simply because they are the largest, most powerful, most heavily analytical and researched industrial real estate owners in the world? Or is it specific to their structure as REITs that makes them appealing to you as an investor? I would say the main reason that I invest in them is just liquidity because the majority of of my investments are in physical real estate, which as you know, too, it's hard to actually pull money out of those at least quickly. You could always refinance or you could sell if you have to, but that's a long cycle. Whereas REITs, it's still an industry that I just believe in. I think it's going to continue doing well, but if I need to access some short-term money to buy another property or whatever I need it for, I can liquidate those positions in a trading day. So that's probably the main reason that I like it. I love having the access to the research that they produce. You're dealing with the most sophisticated owners and analysts and people that are thinking at the business from a completely different level than I would in my small local market. And having access to that type of information just gives me something that I believe others that aren't following it don't have. So those would be the two main reasons. The dividends that they pay aren't great. It can range from two and a half to 4%. So it's not a huge dividend paying stock. So you're sort of relying on some appreciation in that. But I think it's a very safe investment, liquidity and access to research. It's a lot of reasons for me to, to be favorable on that. Liquidity and access to research within an industry that you're already focused full time, not to mention some dividend and some appreciation. That makes a lot of sense, Chad. Given the amount of research you have access to, 
the level and depth of your experience in industrial real estate, both as an investor and as a broker. Let's talk about what the last couple of years have looked like, given the research and your own experience that you have exposure to, but also where you think industrial real estate is headed. A lot of people are aware naturally that warehouses have become trendy, manufacturing a less trendy market segment. You referenced e-commerce earlier. Given the research that you've done, where are we currently seeing the most growth or the most demand in industrial real estate? Well, incidentally, you're right in that hot spot of where there's going to be a considerable amount of growth. And that's right, that old Rust Belt area, which somewhat coincidentally was born on manufacturing. So you guys have really seen a, a resurgence of industrial real estate going from a manufacturing of North America to now I think you're going to actually see a huge boom in warehousing. And I'm sure you're seeing it in Cincinnati already and all over Ohio and the East Coast. There's warehouses popping up everywhere and you can't drive down a major road away from an airport and not see a million square foot distribution center anywhere. And I think that that's actually going to continue because of the East Coast density of population. The vast majority of North America lives within like five, 10 hours of where you're at, five to 10 hours of a drive. So I think that there's going to be a considerable amount of distribution space continue to grow because e-commerce is continuing to grow. This pandemic has certainly accelerated a lot of changing buyer habits. I know I ordered more stuff online over the past couple of years, and there's people that had never even ordered stuff online that are now doing it regularly. So I think e-commerce is going to continue to grow. That's probably not a surprise to anybody really as they see all these warehouses popping up. Perhaps a, a different angle on it is I think manufacturing is going to make a bit of a resurgence as well. And that's been historically outsourced to Asia. There's just been jobs lost in that manufacturing sector. But with all these supply chain issues, and that's, that's another buzzword, right? Everyone's talking about supply chain bottlenecks, but it's a real thing. It can take a quite a long time now for something to come via ship from Asia to North America. So I think there's going to be more resourcing or onshoring for manufacturers that are going to start making things in North America. And that might be in Mexico to take advantage of lower labor costs than US or Canada, or it could just be people making things in US and Canada again. But oil prices are going to go up. So that's going to start increasing demand for manufacturing places all over North America, regardless of whether big oil plays there or not. There's servicing companies that are responsible for this. And then the shift to making things again in North America so we don't have these supply chain issues. I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see distribution space and manufacturing space continue to grow for the foreseeable future, pending, of course, a recession or a third world war. I don't think anyone's got a crystal ball on that, but assuming that there's not something catastrophic, I think the industrial real estate as a whole is going to flourish for a few years still. That's incredibly powerful, Chad. You are using a lot of buzzwords and for <laughs> people who are tracking the economy at large, real estate, including industrial real estate, some of the things you're saying are things that a lot of our listeners have been hearing for a while with regards to COVID, the changes in buying habits, the changes in global supply chains, the demand to be more local to meet that fast shipping deadline that we all crave nowadays. The research that you're currently doing and reading on the research of the REITs like Prologis that you are invested in, where is that growth happening the strongest already? The easy answer is any port market. So if you look at 
Los Angeles or you look at New York or New Jersey or in Canada, if you're looking at Vancouver, these markets have sub 1% vacancy, which is almost unfathomable to really consider. Less than 1% vacancy rate is essentially zero. There might be small pockets here or there, but there is really no inventory to choose from. And the problem with these markets is that they all have impediments to growth. There's an ocean on one side of either of them. The chances are there's mountains or rivers or something that's blocking them from growing in the other area. So I think in those markets, we'll start seeing more vertical growth. So you'll start seeing more multi-story warehouses, but that also introduces a lot more cost to the equation. So those markets are going crazy right now. There's no other way to describe how hot those markets are. But when you start looking beyond that and say, well, these companies can only afford so much rent. And if the rent's going to double because it has to be a multi-story warehouse property and the land costs are that high, well, then you start looking more to inland markets. And that's why you're seeing a market like Dallas, where there's uh, 50 million square feet worth of industrial product under development right now, which is a crazy amount, 50 million square feet under development in one single market. And that's because these markets are in dense areas. So no different than you in Ohio, I think Pennsylvania is going to be a crazy market going forward. I think a big hub like Chicago, which already has a billion square feet in their market, they're going to continue to grow because everything's going to flow through there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see growth everywhere. And I know that that sounds almost like an easy blanket statement to make, but there's so much undersupply of high quality distribution space and the demand is outpacing it. And then you add on the fact that to build right now, you're probably looking 12 to 24 months to get new product online. So you've got a real imbalance in that supply demand curve where demand is still ramping up. The supply hasn't been able to keep up and it won't be able to keep up until some of these material backlogs can get resolved. Labor is still an issue. So we're really in this position where developers are are trying to get product to market is just taking a while. So these companies that need space, if you can't get warehouse space in New York right now, because it's sub 1% vacancy, well, then you're gonna start looking out to Pennsylvania, you might start looking out to Ohio, or Kansas or Tennessee, you might start looking at more of these central areas where there is space available. And there's still a great network of rail and highway systems to get it to. So I'm bullish and how you can you can tell how, how excited I just get talking about industrial real estate. I'm bullish about it because every market right now is really doing quite well. From a landlord's side, it's a different story when you're looking at it from a tenant standpoint, but from an investment standpoint, it's a really good time to be an industrial. Thank you, Chad. That's a very good answer to the question. And it helped me realize I asked the wrong question. <laughs> Maybe I gave the wrong answer. So if I did, no, I apologize. Your answer was excellent and very informative. Thinking about increasing warehouse space vertically in geographically limited port areas like Los Angeles. My gut tells me that sounds expensive. And you talked about middle America. And at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about only being a five or 10 hour drive from where the vast majority of Americans live here in the Midwest. I know you only invest in hard assets in your local market there in Alberta. Are there any other markets that you're considering for yourself, Chad? Also, Where do you think the opportunity is right now? It sounds like New York and Los Angeles have intense demand, but the values and the development costs are going to be astronomical. So I'm a best ever podcast listener. 
I'm thinking about breaking into industrial real estate. Where is the opportunity for me? I would be focused on areas that are going to have positive population influx. And if I was looking in the US right now, I would be focusing predominantly on that Sunbelt. And that's not to say that there aren't opportunities in other markets. I think if you can get a building that has a good quality tenant, vacancy rates are low, and there's still signs of positive growth, I think those markets can still work. But I'm a big believer that industrial real estate follows population. When people move to Orlando, all of a sudden, there's that many more people that need groceries, they need products and everything that they're buying, whether they're buying it online or whether they're even just buying in a grocery store, all that product flows through a warehouse so that you can see that trend line based on population. And I think a lot of people are considering moving to that Sunbelt area. My number one area that I'd be investing in right now is Florida. I think that there's so much happening in that area. I don't see that market declining anytime soon from a population migration standpoint. I think that that's probably where I'd be most focused on, but I'd still see opportunities in a market like Texas where Houston, which has big exposure to the oil and gas industry, that market's been pretty beaten up as oil had that dip over the last seven years. Now it's back up to $100 a barrel. I don't think that that's been priced into their asset values yet. So I would also consider a market like Houston where they've probably had some downward pressure on prices. If oil stabilizes in this $100 a barrel, there could be a spike there. Plus, you just got the benefit of people moving down to Texas. So I'd probably be looking in those areas. And the other one that I'd also consider would be the Carolinas. So North or South Carolina, I think that those are going to be pretty attractive areas from a population growth standpoint. But my number one market that I have actually considered is Florida. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Gotcha. Talking about the price of a barrel of oil, just to make note, we're recording in mid-March 2022. There have been a lot of fluctuations in the cost and the value of oil recently. So best ever listeners, 
Today is March 18th, 2022. And that's what Chad is quoting you from. Now, Chad, last question before we transition here. You made mention of multi-million square foot distribution centers and having them put in middle America or the Midwest, just outside of the East Coast, where you have high population density, but also high property value, which makes it easier, more affordable to put distribution centers in non-primary markets. It's easy to see that industrial development is following population growth. Naturally, the more people in a market, the more stuff they need, the more capacity we have to have to deliver that stuff and to manufacture that stuff. Are there any examples of industrial development leading to population growth through job growth? Because as we transition to a more e-commerce driven economy, major companies like Amazon are recognizing that they need to be putting their distribution centers or other industrial facilities in areas where they are attracting jobs and thereby population. Are we seeing industrial development cause population growth and job growth anywhere right now? That's a fascinating topic to explore because coincidentally, I'm reading a book on the industrial revolution right now. And when you start looking at the history of the factory, and this is just very topical for me because I'm reading it, not as we speak, but tonight I'll read a few pages, I'm sure. There's a guy by the name of Richard Arkwright who is known as like the creator of the factory system. Industrial revolution started in the UK called like 1760s when the factory started to develop and Richard Arkwright developed the system for the factory. And incidentally, that's what he noticed right away is that he would make a factory, but you need labor for it. So you've got this product, you've got the system and they had the technology to spin cotton in there. But unless you have workers to actually man, or in their case, they use women and children, which is a deplorable topic on its own. But unless you have the people in there to actually work in the factory, the factory itself is useless. So without question, there's some facets of industrial development, which will spawn population growth. I'd say it'd be more on the manufacturing side. Like Detroit would be a good example. When they decided to start ramping up car production decades ago, that led to Detroit becoming Motor City and a big boom town. And they flourished off that industrial development. So on the manufacturing side, yes. On the warehousing side, I've noticed that they typically tend to go where the population already is. And without naming any companies by name, a lot of these companies intentionally try to pay as low wages as possible. So it's not a lucrative job if you're just someone that's sorting boxes you're pretty much being paid minimum wage or slightly above. So for that business model, you need people there already. You're not going to attract a whole bunch of people to come work in a warehouse if they're paying minimum wage jobs. Whereas if it's a manufacturing job and they need skilled labor and there's considerably higher salaries being offered, I think you will see that. So if you're trying to look at it as as an a leading indicator on where there could be population growth, I would look to see where manufacturing is headed. And just a hunch on my part, I think it's coming to your neck of the woods. That infrastructure is already in place. There's a lot of manufacturing properties from the last boom that industrial had. If I was a betting man, I would think that there's going to be manufacturing coming to your neck of the woods. Is it safe to say then, Chad, for our best ever listeners who invest in asset classes outside of industrial that are tracking population growth, which is directly impacted by job growth, watching where 
manufacturing is being developed is a lead indicator for population growth and job growth, and you expect to see it come into the Rust Belt? I believe that unequivocally. Without question, I see that happening. Barring anything beyond our control, of course, I do see population growth occurring in that Rust Belt area. Again, I think that there's a lot of factors at play here as well. So there's anything that can trump that. But I think that that is going to be a a strong, solid place to be, not just for industrial real estate, but for investors of all kinds. Outside of that New York area, I think that that market hasn't had the appreciation that some other areas have. And I'd be quite bullish on that Rust Belt area as a whole for the foreseeable future. Well, all my uh, real estate investor friends in Cincinnati say that sounds great. (laughs) Chad, are you ready for our best ever lightning round? Love it. Let's do it. What is the best ever book you've recently read? I don't have the one that I'm reading right now, but I have read a good one. Give me one second. I actually do have it here. I know it's probably flipped on your screen. Bomber Mafia, Malcolm Gladwell. Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. It was awesome. Had really nothing to do with real estate. I'm just a fan of Malcolm Gladwell. I've read a number of his other books. He's an unbelievable storyteller. He's talking about World War II, just on how they coordinated some of their attacks and they narrowed in on one topic. Won't give too much away, but it was one of those books where you know within like 20 pages whether it's going to be one that you've got to grapple with to get through or, or one you Gladwell can... is good at hooking you for sure he hooks i went you through in. my gladwell phase too yeah it's a very good book i really enjoyed that one awesome what is your best ever way to give back chad i like to take as much time as i can to help anybody that wants help so i regularly jump on calls with either brokers or investors across the world If they just want to ask a question about industrial real estate, I've taken dozens and dozens of calls over the years with no expectation of anything in return. I don't ask for any money. I don't ask them for anything. I love talking about this. I benefited from it when I was younger, having more experienced people help me. So I'd love to return that favor whenever I can. What is the best ever skill you've developed in commercial real estate investing? I think speaking confidently is an underrated skill and and it sounds pretty easy to say, but it's a lot harder to do. And I found that people that are very successful in business are very good communicators. So I did Toastmasters when I was younger, really tried to hone that skill and, and gain confidence in it. And that has gone a long way in my business. What is your best ever advice? I would say whatever you do, find a way to add value to it. I would equate it to like a waiter at a restaurant. Some waiters will just go in and they'll just take your order and bring your food. And a lot of people in the business world take that mentality and they just take instructions and they just do what they're asked. I think that to really succeed in the business world, you need to find ways to add value. So however you need to do it, however you think you can help somebody else out, if all you're bringing to the figurative table is a notepad and a pen, you're just not contributing anything. So find a way to add more value to people. Find a way to add value to people. Awesome. Where can people get in touch with you, Chad? Email is great. It's griffiscre at gmail.com. And I've also got a YouTube page. If people just want to hear more about industrial real estate. I've actually done over a hundred videos on the topic now, which is kind of crazy to admit, but same mentality is I, I don't talk about my company. I don't even mention where I'm located. My whole idea is just to give as much information as I can. If people get value, then it's a win for me. So just search my name or search industrial real estate and it'll pop up. Great. Well, Chad, thank you. And best ever listeners, thank you as well. If you got value out of this conversation with Chad Griffiths, please do subscribe to our show, 
Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend who you know will gain value from the conversation we just had about the growth happening in industrial real estate. Thank you and have a best ever day.